Another rebound in a crowd by the Brock Ness Monster. Ooh, that would be Pedro. Ooh. Jim Bob Foley, holy moly. How about the Tasmanian Slovenian with the stop, drop, and pop? Tiffany Hop with the King's Herald Barbershop. You're listening to the King's Herald Show, a bi-weekly NBA podcast that covers all the ups and downs, ins and outs of your one and only Sacramento Kings. As always, I'm your host, Will Griffith, and with me today are my partners in futility and the real brains of this operation. First up, writer for the King's Herald and podcast whiz, Tony Zipteris. Tony, happy Sunday. Happy Sunday, Will and Jerry. Uh, happy, happy to be here again. I was getting very concerned at like the end of January to mid-February that this podcast was going to be negative every week about uh, a poor <laughs> Sacramento Kings team. But they're one Jimmy Butler buzzer beater away from a seven-game win streak. So uh, we got some good stuff to talk about today. I, on the other hand, was really excited to hear Jerry talk for an hour about his different recipes that he's gotten from Indiana. And mm-hmm. I wanted to have him walk us through how to cook something from his home state. Yeah. Okay, so now, now the real reason you've tuned in today. He's a former Sacramento Kings head coach, GM, and color analyst, the general manager of a WNBA champion, an Indiana basketball Hall of Famer, and the true pride of French Lick himself, Jerry Reynolds. Jerry, as always, an absolute pleasure to have you. Well, thanks, guys. And yes, uh, I, I can tell you some recipes. How about a little persim- persimmon pudding? I know Ooh. you've never had that. Uh, I some uh, morel mushrooms fried. And uh, Ooh, more okay. and the and the greatest of all greats is my mom's chicken and dumplings. Ooh. Uh, oh, wow. It's even even better than the Cracker Barrel chicken and dumplings. Oh. So, oh, just just make your heart pump Kool Aid right there, boy. <laughs> We're gonna save that for the Patreon episode, so people have to pay for those recipes. Oh, they should. Yeah, Yeah, they should. (laughs) Well, we're recording this morning, uh, the morning of the Super Bowl, and just a few hours away from the Kings taking on the Clippers. So let's uh, let's go ahead and jump right in. Uh, I'm going to set the scene real quick. Last time we spoke, the Kings had lost six of eight games. Uh, They'd just come off of a a game where they'd beaten the Knicks. Uh, We talked to Hassan, who who was a wonderful guest. And since the moment we got off the phone with Hassan, the Kings have gone uh, six of seven in their last uh, in their last seven games or six of seven in their last seven games. And their one loss was to Miami by, by one point, as Tony mentioned. So Jerry, as a, as a stupid pro tank subhuman, please explain to me what the hell the Kings have been doing to make this work. Well, uh, a couple of things I think has struck me is that uh, they are playing a little bit of defense. You know, I remember us talking about the fact that the Kings, the Grizzlies games were postponed and they had several days of practice, and I think we were commis- commiserating, or at least I was, about great opportunity for Walton, Coach Walton, and his staff to really uh, spend the time on the defense, make it better. And uh, you know, there's clearly when you're the worst in history, you you need to focus that way. And uh, I don't know if they did, but but they are better on defense. Uh, they're not good, but they're better. And and then when you look at the fact that they're really good on offense. I mean, the unselfishness, the ball movement, uh, I think Coach Walton, I know the, you know, a lot of the fans out there really uh, can't say anything good about Coach Walton, but they really need to. If you're going to criticize him, you need to give him some fair credit. And uh, this team is, has turned around, and they're playing beautiful team basketball. I mean, uh, I just really enjoy watching them play, and, and I think he's got his – kind of getting white side back there again. I know some of you are just about to 
have convulsions. Uh, but but he, he in limited minutes he is he has kind of given the team a little different look at times, which they need. You know, a little basket protection, a little inside, just his size. And uh, you know, I'm not a fan of his, but but the truth is he's been pretty productive. So I, I think it's a, it's a little bit all those, and then of course Tyrese Halliburton has been terrific, just uh, finding ways to get better, and De'Aaron Fox is definitely playing at an all-star level. Just he's doing exactly what we hoped he would do. He is doing. Tony, you look like you're about to say something. I can see it in your eyes. Yeah, I was just going to say on the on the Walton point um, that Jerry made, and just to uh, to cover my own tracks. I remember uh, we were talking on this podcast a couple episodes ago, where I was critical of Walton for maybe not playing someone like Marvin Bagley enough or in crunch time, and that was because the Kings were were losing a lot of those games. Will you rattled off that record before this recent stretch? Walton has, to his credit. Um, kept that same strategy where he has tightened the rotation up so much. He's coaching with a level of urgency that I don't think we've seen in Sacramento in a very long time. The rotation is super short. He is really only playing eight guys. And sometimes Corey Joseph is barely playing. Glenn Robinson is not playing every night. It's really just that core rotation. And he's hasn't been afraid to, to continue benching Bagley in the fourth quarter. And that crunch time lineup of Fox, Halliburton, Buddy, Barnes, and Holmes has been incredible. And they're winning the games, which is uh, a credit to Walton for playing to win instead of development. And he's actually winning. The, the fear was that he was playing to win on, on those guys and losing, but it hasn't been the case. So all the credit in the world for how he has um, really coached with the only, the only directive not being development, really. I mean, not that they're, I mean, Halliburton's playing anyway, so it's not like he really has a, a huge decision to make there, but he really is coaching to to win the games and they're winning well and one thing i also i also think is different than like say um 2018 2019 with jaeger is that they're not jaeger kind of threw out the playbook it seemed like and was just like all right now go go out there and just run and walton seems to be i mean there's actual coaching involved the ball movement is good there's there's they're doing it in the half court i i I saw a stat uh yesterday that said that over the last um something like during this run the Kings are actually in the bottom 10 in pace during the, during this, you know, six and one, you know, streak right here that the Kings are actually playing slower and they're executing in the half court. And that's something that the Kings, I, I can't remember the last time the Kings were good at executing in the half court and winning games like this. Yeah, it's been a long time. And, and, you know, I, I think I sort of understand it to a degree, uh, you know, with Fox uh, playing as well as he is, the Kings, I think feel very good about, uh, in crunch time, they've got, you know, they've got some things going for them that are to their advantage. And uh, whether, uh, you know, when Fox is playing as well as he has, it not only is he going to score, but he, he, he can make plays uh, for others or make it easier for others. Not saying he's still probably a cisternal ratio and as good as it should be, but it certainly does open up, you know, the Halliburton's Harrison Barnes's uh, for, for some high percentage shots. And, uh, you know, I, I, anyway, Hey, they're playing like a good team. I, that's, that's the bottom line. And, and I think, uh, you know, I, I, I always known this, and I mean, Luke's one of those guys that the, I think the players like playing for, they may not agree mm-hmm. with uh, his strategy sometimes, but the, you know, it's not a case of, uh, he's hard to play for. Maybe if there's a flaw, I wish it might be too easy to play for, but sometimes, you know, you probably need yeah. to be 
a little rougher, but I think he's got such high character bunch here. You know, I mean, really easy going, good guys to deal with, you, you know, buddies, uh, you know, buddies out there on the edges there and, and Whiteside, you don't know what, where he is. I mean, if you go where Whiteside goes, you may not come back. So you got to be careful there, <laughs> but, but, uh, but I mean, overall, uh, I think a very coachable bunch. Attribute this to one thing, if you can. What's the thing that that has most changed in these last seven games? Would it be uh, Fox seemingly finding that Mamba mentality in him, where he's he's gone, he's become, you know, that ultimate closer in the fourth quarter? Is it uh, Halliburton getting an increased minutes, where he's just a different look for teams that they're not used to yet? Is it is it coaching? Is it Rashawn Holmes, who we haven't really mentioned yet, just clamping down in the fourth quarter and, and locking these teams in? Give me, give me the thing that you can attribute at least uh, the highest percentage of what the change is in the last seven games. I, I honestly think it, it's four guys playing, you know, at a high level just about every night. And that's, you know, obviously Fox and Halliburton and Holmes and, and Harrison Barnes. I mean, I, I think you just, you know, the ball rolls out there and you know they're going to really play well. I mean, not saying they have each and every night or every half, but overall, boy, the production has been there, been outstanding of those four guys. So you're just looking for a little help uh, from from somebody else. So you just get some reasonable production from two two out of the next four or five guys. You, you got a chance to win. And I think that's, that's what it is. And... Uh, I mean, I don't know if those guys can keep it up, but if they can, uh, they're going to be a tough out. I mean, you know, I'm not saying that the Lakers and the Clippers full strength are probably scared, but I think everybody else, you know, and maybe the Jazz too, but I mean, just about everybody else ought to be scared because it's it's a bunched up deal that, you know, this is, uh, I mean, really, I, I, I mean, the Kings are what, a game and a half out of fourth? Yeah. You know, come on. You know, why, why can't they stay there or, or move up? Why, I mean, the, there's three teams that are clearly more talented than them, and I think that's the three at the top with the best records. But, I mean, we've seen is you really can't say Denver is. You know, Kings have beaten them three times. And, uh, I mean, I like Phoenix, but I can't say they're definitely more talented. You might say they are, but you cannot say they're definitely more talented or, or Portland definitely more talented. Uh, you know, I mean, it's – so at some point, uh, give credit where it's due and, and maybe enjoy the ride a little bit. We're not allowed to. We're Kings fans, Jerry. Okay, I apologize. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, everyone's waiting for the next, the, the shoe to drop, right? But yeah. <laughs> oh, I know. I, I, <laughs> I understand. And I, I kind of I kind of right. am too. But but until I till it fully drops, you know, sure. I want to hear it hit the floor. Then I'm going <laughs> to enjoy, I'm just going to enjoy good basketball. Yeah, and you can't overstate like how solid that crunch time lineup is. There's no holes in that five. I mean, maybe it's Buddy, but they they they've set themselves up where they don't even need Buddy to be the Buddy that we're that we are like expecting to see because Barnes is playing so well. And it seems like every single night in crunch time, like uh, there's the offensive things that are all going really well. But Rashawn Holmes is getting like one or two incredibly clutch blocks like every single time <laughs> even even against the nuggets where Jokic was killing anyone everyone Holmes was still battling him every single play it wasn't like Jokic was getting easy buckets Holmes and Holmes is undersized against him in reality but the way that Holmes finds an extra gear 
in those last four minutes on defense to sell out for blocks and protect the rim as best he can. That is a crunch time lineup that I would not want to go up against. And it doesn't seem like a fluke. Like I don't see why those four and buddy when he's on or off can't keep playing at somewhere near that level. And maybe some of the other role players will bring it down if they're not having a good game, but that like Jerry was saying, those four, what they're doing doesn't seem like something that will all of a sudden, you know, fall off a cliff. Maybe it will, but we ex- kind of expect it from those four players to some degree. Yeah. And I'll, I'll add this. I'll, I'll be surprised if buddy doesn't get it going there pretty quick. Right. You yeah. know, he's certainly uh, trying to play unselfishly and, and fit, you know, uh, fit in. And, and so, okay. So now all of a sudden as somebody maybe, you know, slips a gear or something, uh, uh, buddy gets it going. And, and I, but I, I like that lineup and I know there's a lot of, you know, discussion about uh, Marvin getting more minutes in the fourth quarter, but it hasn't been merited really. Uh, and, and, you know, I think Luke's got it right. I mean, I, I'm certainly, I think Marvin has got plenty of time to prove uh, his value and, and he's getting his minutes and, and there'll be nights when maybe you might want him in there, but right now uh, it's going good. Why change it? A friend of the show, Tim Maxwell, pointed out last night that uh, Bagley averaged uh, 26.7 minutes over his first 16 games. And over the last six, he's yet to reach that mark again. Um, he has kind of struggled a little bit of recent, you know, as the Kings have up, kind of swung upward, Bagley has kind of gone on a downward swing. I don't think those are necessarily correlated to one another. But I will say that Bagley, when he is in there, has looked um, where he was kind of, you see him on the upswing for a while all of a sudden he's kind of back down in the doldrums a little bit. Jerry, is there any cause for concern in terms of Bagley and his, uh, and his spot in the rotation? I, I don't think so right now. Uh, I mean, as long as the team overall is playing as well as it is and coach Walton's going to try to win ball games and, and uh, go with who he thinks is the best down the stretch of games, which is what you should do. And, and really at some point, uh, you know, that may include uh, Marvin Bagley, you know, that's, that's what, you know, what you, what you can't uh, project right now. And, uh, and I think, uh, I think if anything, uh, Walton has proven that he'll kind of look at things differently as he goes. So, uh, but at the end of it, Marvin, to get that role, to get more minutes, uh, he needs to play better. You know, he needs to play better. I, you know, you can't make that up. Uh, just, just, uh, you know, it's kind of like a, the old story, Jack Nick, Nicholas told us Scott Hoke, a golfer, a real good golfer at the time he was talking about, he didn't, couldn't get enough, uh, you know, enough endorsements and outside income and wanted to know what he needed to do. Uh, you know, and Jack said very simply, uh, play better, you know, that'll take care of it, you know? <laughs> and I think that, I think that applies, uh, in many cases, don't make it any more complicated than that. <laughs> so we, we've been talking a little bit of, uh, uh, on, on the sustainability of all this. Is there something, Jerry, that you see uh, some marker up ahead that you can see the Kings falling off? Uh, I, I, I mean, I to think of a couple of examples like Halliburton, who's played so well, is something like a rookie wall approaching for him? where he's just going to either be scouted better by teams now that they know that, okay, this kid is kicking the shit out of teams every night or, it, or, or maybe he's just the, the physical aspect of it where he's not used to playing as many games. Is there anything down the road that you can see where the Kings are going to 
hit a wall. The only thing that would worry me, uh, and, and I really don't worry too much about Halbert. Now, I know he's going to have some games that aren't going to be very good. You know, he's he's human. The last time I checked, so he'll have some off games, just like Fox will or Harrison Barnes will. They they will. But I think the overall pro productivity will stay there. I mean, his the statistics just indicate that. Uh, and he, yes, he will be scouted more and better, but he's got his game is will get better with it. I think. But here's my con- concern: the Kings have really been fortunate with injuries and COVID. You know, compared to the rest of the league, they're. I mean, they've had the best. They've had the best of it. And I'm knocking on wood here because you'd like you hope that's going to stay that way, but reality tells you it probably won't. That uh, you know. Some of the things that's happened to other teams uh, with COVID problems and injury problems uh, will probably happen to the Kings. That is the league, and uh, that will affect you. You know that there's no good that can come from that sort of thing, and we, as we've seen already, so so that that's a concern. And you know, in a sense, that okay, that could throw them off, throw them off for a period. Hopefully, if it does happen whether legitimate injuries or COVID, it'll be brief. But that that's the best you can hope for, I think. Yeah, I think depth is, to Jerry's point, depth is not a strength of this team. And I mentioned it earlier with Walton shortening that rotation a ton where he sometimes he doesn't even play, you know, a backup wing in someone like Len Robinson Jr. or three. So you can't, they're like, you can't replace any, an injury to any of those top four, at least with the roster, how it is right now. Maybe, you know, maybe, um, when Daquan Jeffries comes back, he can, you know, do some interesting things on the wing as, as a backup player. But for what they have right now, uh, any sort of time off for COVID or injuries to that top four is I don't see a, a replaceable talent um, on the roster anywhere for any of those guys. Yeah, I think, uh, too, you know, to, to that degree, too, when uh, as, as we know, all of us fans are always saying, boy, let's play, the, develop the young guys and play the young guys and, and uh you may get your wish and you may be sorry you got it. Uh, <laughs> you know, God's going to save, you know, I, I'm old enough to remember, like say the Ray McCallums and Malachi Richardson's and Frank Mason's who all people were just clamoring for until they, till they got about all they could clamor. You know, one of the things too, to kind of add on to that is the King's strength of schedule you know, for the schedule that's been remaining, obviously it's been cut in half because of COVID. So they're going to schedule the second half later, but the Kings, I was looking this up yesterday for a preview. They have the sixth hardest schedule remaining in the NBA. They got to play the Lakers. They got to play the Clippers today. They still have the Sixers uh, um, on Monday or Tuesday, the Bucks and the Nets twice. So if somebody gets, and we saw Fox kind of holding that hip the other night, if Fox goes down, they still got to play some very, very, very good teams. Yeah, that's the league. You know, I've always said, you know, in most years you play 41 at home, 41 on the road, and and the schedule will win you some games, as we've seen, you know, the, it'll and the schedule will lose you some games. Regard, and we've seen that, especially this year. Uh, that's part of the reason you're seeing so many blowouts. Teams just playing back-to-backs closer. Uh, I got key guy out here or there. But, uh, yeah, the, you, know, you know, the Kings are – the, by nature of this league, that there'll be some games on this schedule the Kings aren't going to be ready for, to, to maybe no fault their own. They just aren't going to be prepared to win them. Jerry, as a uh, general manager uh, or as a coach, what was the longest winning streak you ever went through? 
Give me, give me one in your head that you can at least remember. You don't have to give me the exact games, but do you remember one in particular? I, well, I, I remember a five-game winning streak, uh, you know, and I don't know that we ever had any more than that. But, uh, yeah, it was just kind of like a little bit what, what you're seeing here a little bit. Uh, schedule was good. Uh, everybody's healthy. You know, we had limited talent, and so no bench. So we didn't have to go to the bench, which was a scary thought. And, uh, and, and so, you know, just – one of those deals too, where where's a team that could score and, and uh, couldn't guard much, but when they were healthy and going good and they could score, they, they had a chance to win. And, and then when you had to go to the bench and you had injuries and all that, uh, you couldn't win. <laughs> <laughs> I was, uh, I was talking to my family about it. My, I was talking to them about, Oh, basically a seven game win streak. And uh, uh, one of my family members was like, well, they lost in the middle of that, didn't they? I had to, I had, no, it was a seven game moral win streak, you know, oh, huh? we seven straight moral victories in a row, you know, six actual ones. And then that Miami game was a fantastic one to, uh, to win in our hearts, just not yeah. on the schedule. I, I always remember a seven game. I think we had a seven game winning streak when the Kevin Martin was the star, you know, it wasn't a good team, but it had a seven game winning streak. And, uh, I, I had been on radio foolishly and said, if they got to eight or something like that, I would shave my head. So I had, I had, uh, I had mixed emotions as the thing got closer. You know, I, I told Kevin after they finally did lose, I said, well, you know, I, I really did want you to win. And yet I wasn't unhappy when you lost. <laughs> so, so Tony, give me something that stands out to you. Dazzle us with something that, that I know you've got something in your head that you've been waiting to, uh, to share. Well, I was just looking it up. Um, Cause I know I wanted to mention this and that is De'Aaron Fox over his last 10 games. Uh, 26.2 points per game, shooting basically 50% from the field, um, getting 6.6 free throws, 7.8 assists. So he's playing over the last 10 games better than he's played maybe at, during any 10 games of his entire career, but certainly better than he was playing at the beginning of the year. And I don't know if we're ready to say that this is a full-blown leap of, of you know him going from a fringe all-star guard to an all-star guard who just might not make it because of the team that he's on. Cause there's only so many spots. And if you're not one of those top eight teams, like a Bradley Beal last year, where even if you have the numbers, if you're not on the, on the team that that's winning, you might not make it anyways. I don't know if that is De'Aaron Fox yet. I don't know if we can call him an all-star who just might not make the all-star team, but this 10 game stretch where he is taking over games and he is scoring at a clip that I didn't think he had in him yet. Cause we were always, you know, the knock on Fox was, can he do it all the time? Like he'll go into this mode where he's super aggressive and he's getting to the bucket and he looks unstoppable, but he doesn't do it all the time. And during these last 10 games, it seems like he's starting to do it. Maybe not all the time, but a lot more frequently than we've ever seen before. And if, you know, we came into the year thinking, or at least I did that buddy Heald is going to be the leading scorer on this team. And, you know, you hope De'Aaron Fox is, is somewhere behind that. But Fox has so far and away been the most aggressive offensive player and the highest scorer on the roster that um, he's, you know, he's turning into a star. Again, maybe he's not there yet, but that's like the one thing, the big key, the big takeaway is that the Kings have a guy that, you know, we may look back years from now and remember that this stretch was the stretch where, Darren Fox started becoming the player that we all hoped he would be. Yeah, well, I, I agree with all that. I, I think it, uh, you know, it's maybe more impressive to me than than any other situation because they're winning. 
while he's, right, exactly. you know, he's putting up those numbers in wins. And I've always said, uh, you know, stats can be misleading. You know, I always say every losing team has a leading score. Uh, it's a common known fact. And so sometimes that doesn't uh, say that much, but he's, he's leading teams to wins and the numbers are there. Uh, I, I do give uh, Tyrese Halliburton, I think a lot of credit here because I think playing as we talked about some weeks ago that I think when Tyrese is on the court with, uh, with uh, Fox, it makes his job easier. He's got another, you know, cause Halliburton obviously is a very unselfish guy, ball mover, uh, great spot shooter, opens the floor for a guy like Fox. <laughs> and of course, Holmes is good opening the floor for a guy like Fox because he, you know, and, and, and really when you give uh, De'Aaron De some space, uh, man, he's, he's tough to stay in front of. I mean, so is he a star? I think he is. I definitely, I, I mean, I've said all along, I, I've always thought he's better than John Morant. I mean, uh, and John Morant, I don't mean this as a slap at John Morant at all. I don't mean that, but, but I just think he's a better player. Uh, he hadn't you know, been treated that way, but, but that will come soon. Jerry, how do you discern, other than just waiting for the other shoe to drop, how do you discern a hot streak versus a jump? How do, when do you know, okay, this guy's just taking it to the next notch and it's going to stay there for a while, other than, or rather than like, okay, it's been 10 games, you know, all of a sudden he's shooting well from the three-point line, he's got a nice step back and it's going in right now. How do you discern those two things apart? Well, uh, the only way you can is just uh, over games, Keep it going. You know, if you're really a star, you'll do it most nights, every night. You know, I mean, uh, talent sells. And uh, the way he's playing, that doesn't mean he has to play exactly to the level he's playing, you know, a little drop off here and there. But, yeah, if he's turned a corner, and I think he has, that you'll see, see uh, this type of play pretty consistently. You know, it may not be 26 points a game for 10 games. It may go down to 23. Uh, that's okay. Uh, but, but I think, I think that that's what we'll see. And, and that's what stars do once they, you know, once they've clicked in, so to speak, uh, you know, they know who they are and, and the league already knows who they are and they know, you know, it, it's not like they haven't scouted him. So there's no real new things are going to uh, put to him, you know, I mean, they'll, so, so yeah, I, I think just he's there. Uh, and now it's making sure he stays there, stays healthy and understands that uh, he's the focal point about every night. And some nights he won't be that good, but out of 10 games, probably eight games, he will. It's it's for somebody who like me is uh, I'm fairly pessimistic about the Kings and it's just uh, uh, just attrition well, you, over all these years. You have reason. Yes. Yes. <laughs> yeah. And that's led to to uh, to rather extreme views at times about what the Kings should do in the front office and coaching and otherwise. But one one thing that I've noticed is that for a while there it was like, OK, well, Harrison Barnes is off to a hot, hot start. And then we kind of added, uh, oh, Halliburton's playing really well for a rookie. And then Fox kicked in these last 10 games. It's like, okay, well, Harrison Barnes is off to a career year. Uh, Tyrese Halliburton's a rookie of the year candidate. De'Aaron Fox is now playing at an all-star level. Oh, and Rashawn Holmes is having his best year. And at one point I had to stop going, these are all just separate flukes that are happening. Because one person can fluke into a hot start to a season, even for 20 games or so. But then when there's four guys or five guys pulling pulling together and really starting to play together. It's like, oh, crap, maybe this team's just good. Yeah, sometimes it's just believe your lying eyes, you know. I mean, it's also true that, uh, <laughs> you know, that uh, 
that Buddy and Bagley aren't playing as good as they're capable. You know, they're just not. Sure. So, yeah, well, are those guys, other four, are they maybe playing over their heads a little at times? Sure. Uh, overall, I don't think too much. But, I mean, I think that's why I'd be op optimistic going forward is you got two, you know, key players uh, that you're counting on haven't played nearly as well as they're capable of. And so you got that to look forward to if, uh, if, you know, and if those other four can stay close to where they are. And I think close is a, the way you need to look at it. I don't expect Harrison Barnes to play at this level uh, the next 50 games. I don't I, I love to be wrong because he's just been terrific, uh, you know, but he can drop off and still be terrific. Yeah. The Harrison Barnes thing is, is I like I'm trying I've been trying to think because I've been staring at his stats all year and I, I keep waiting them for them to go down and they just keep going up and I'm trying to think of like a player who made this big of a efficiency jump jump at this stage of his career and he's not old I think he's 28 but I mean he went from a <laughs> well you gotta get rid of him, yes, get rid yeah. of him. He's 28. Jerry you have been on oh Twitter the last God. couple of days I see we'll get there, we'll get there oh. Jerry I'll, I'll give you your chance I'll give you your <laughs> but I mean, I, like he's doing things that I haven't seen him do before. And I'm, I guess in this particular instance, I'm talking about like his passing. He's just averaging like a whole assist plus more than ever. Like he's just do He's, he's been awesome. He's been so good. And, th and that's, that's the one player of all the guys that are playing really well that I'm like, man, Harrison Barnes can't be this good forever. Or then like Will said, like, I'm scared. The Kings are actually like good. Like this is the new Harrison Barnes. We're getting forever. The, King, the Kings might be good. Yeah. Yeah, you know, that's the fear. That's the weird part. But You know, Tony, I, I have the stats here for the last seven games over his last seven. Um, Barnes is averaging 22.1 points, 6.1 rebounds, 4.6 assists. And from the field, he's shooting 54% from three. He's shooting uh, 48%. And that's on, six and a half attempts a game and 91% from free throws. That's, that's a guy, if he can keep even 75% of that up, the Kings could really be knocking on the door to a playoff spot at the end of the year. And, and he's a really good defender. Yeah. On top of that, Joe, absolutely. But that assist number is like, he was a 1.7 assist on a career average guy. And he's, getting all these awesome like dump off passes on his draw. He's just been playing so, so great. Um, you know, well, you know, too, that, that's kind of part of the thing. I think sometimes we forget that, that it is possible to continue to improve. They, you know, uh, basically I know it here again, we talked about this, but most guys improve uh, till they're probably 30 years old. And then there's a, a start of a drop off. And then by that time, usually they're more skilled and even though they've lost athleticism, can still play at a very high level. You know, I mean, I would say the classic example is LeBron James. He's lost some athleticism, although he's still more athletic than 90% of people in, in the known world. But, but he's a much better shooter. You know, I mean, when he, you know, he can actually, he can knock down threes now pretty consistently. Well, that's what happens uh, if you practice and if you're, and you improve your skills, uh, you know, you can get keep getting better, <laughs> you know, as you age. LeBron at 36 years old is averaging over 25 points a game and shooting 41% from the three-point line, which even six yeah. or seven years ago, I didn't have thought LeBron would ever go over 40. No. Yeah, no, exactly. And, you know, when he was 25, uh, he couldn't shoot him very well at all. You know, that's just a fact. Of course, I always said that was, you know, you saw that with Magic Johnson or Jason Kidd. 
uh, guys of uh, all, you know Hall of Famers that became really good shooters that were very poor shooters until their middle middle to late twenties. So what Jerry's saying is that Harrison Barnes is the next LeBron James. He is uh, without a doubt going to be better than LeBron. <laughs> I just uh, no, no. If I, I know there'll be somebody say, yeah, Jerry said that. Jerry said that. That old fool. <laughs> <laughs> I, I'm just trying to ruin your uh, your reputation amongst Kings fans. Well, well, it's, it's probably already ruined, but some, but already because I don't I don't agree with everything. But I like I say I, I you know I'm just not going to apologize for enjoying the crap out of the way Harrison's playing as well as his team, and uh, and I I don't know that he can play this well all year. I mean that's those numbers are almost you know I mean that's all star numbers themselves, and uh, you know. Of course, having you know, going back, I always remember Harrison as a high school player. He's considered the number one high school player in the, in the nation, and uh, you know, and then of course was highly rated coming out of Carolina. And he's he's done really good things. I think in general, people uh, have always felt he maybe underperformed a little bit, and I think there's some justification for that. Well, what if now he's just clicking in, and uh, you know, basically hitting his stride? You know, I mean you. You see that on a, in a lot of other sports, uh, with whether it's quarterbacks or or baseball players. A lot of times, uh, they're well into their careers before they they really it all clicks in for them. One thing we haven't talked about, but I, I've noticed a little bit more and more as the season's gone on, the team seems to really, really like each other. Like they're like, and now I've seen people give credit to Hassan Whiteside for this because Hassan is online and he's he jokes with uh Tyrese Halliburton and everything else like that he's constantly posting videos every time he sees a bird he posts a, a video of him talking to Harrison Barnes because of Harrison's bar a Harrison Barnes nickname as the Black Falcon um <laughs> and so but like I I noticed that the, the team and maybe this is partially because there's no fans in the stands but they're able and they're spaced out so they're able to be goofy and they're leaning over and they're flapping their arms like a bird every time Harrison Barnes gets gets points up on the board. This team really, really seems to like each other. And I, I don't know if I was expecting that coming into a quote-unquote developmental year. No, I agree with that. I mean, I, I think they do. You see it. Well, you always can kind of see it in play when they're really unselfish and, and seem to joy in, in success of their teammates. And you see that. And like you say, I mean, with Whiteside, uh, you know, really, there's never been a bad bone in his body. You know, he's never, nobody's ever said he's a bad guy. No. He's a little, little dingy, that's for sure, <laughs> you know, but, but, uh, you know, who isn't to some degree, but, but I like to say, and I think here again, I know this will uh, cause consternation among uh, Kings Herald fans, but at some point you might ought to give uh, Coach Walton some credit here. You know, I mean, uh, it's happening. If, if it was going bad, chemistry we know what we'd, we'd be saying <laughs> all of us yeah. and so if it's good why well, i i've always said you know give credit where credit's due and blame where uh, blame is due i'm not ready for that jerry i i, the I, stats no, I you're absolutely right but as one of those people i'm like i'll wait till the all-star break yeah. and then we'll see. <laughs> yeah no and i and i and i definitely yeah. i understand that i mean really i've got no problem with that either <laughs> i mean it's, it's kind of like kind of like players let, let's let's have more games play out here and, and you know we, we'll we'll have a better understanding of everything in another 20 20 games as, as tony pointed out he's doing the same things that was losing him games earlier it's now winning him games uh, just by tightening up that rotation there was times where i felt like when the kings were 
were getting kicked out of the the arena every night it was like gosh open up the open up that bench a little bit and let some people play get a different look in there he's not doing that he's doing the exact same thing as he has been doing it's just been successful so i'll give him credit and that i'll sprinkle some credit out there for him that's there's some free credit there. Yeah, uh, <laughs> yeah, yeah. I know it hurts. It hurts. I know it's a tough one. It hurts a little bit, but uh, you'll you know you'll you'll be able to uh, yeah. come back. Well, but I always say that about uh, with coaches. I mean, Steve Kerr is is not doing anything much different. He did three or four years ago. Uh, team team just didn't nearly as good. Uh, Eric Spolster right now they're you know got a big losing record. He's a terrific coach. So is Rick Carlisle due to some guys aren't playing as well, injuries, all the, all the above. And so, uh, you know, does Rick Carlisle deserve some blame for the, for the uh, Mavs? Sure. Because uh, we gave him the credit for, you know, and I think he's great. But, I mean, it, it goes both ways. That's, that's what you have. That's the only thing you can look at is performance. Yeah, I mean, great coaches get fired all the time. I mean, every, basically everyone gets fired at some point, right? So, Luke Walton, I right. mean, he – he, like Will said, he's doing a lot of the same things, but when you're winning, there's no, I mean, to me, there's no criticism to be, to be had on something like that when you win six of seven. And I don't think like for what Walton's doing, I don't think it's an easy decision to keep benching Marvin Bagley. Like he has, I, I think it's the right decision, but I think we talk about, you know uh, he's, and I don't know if this literally affects Walton. I hope it doesn't. And I assume it doesn't, but he's getting some pressure from Bagley's camp. Like there's campaigns from his dad on Twitter to, to get him to fire him or whatever. And I, I don't think anyone in the Kings is taking that stuff seriously, but this is sort of a make or break season for Marvin Bagley in some ways. I mean, not totally, but at least here in Sacramento, this was supposed to be the year or, or at least the narrative around the year was, was this is the year that we're going to see Marvin Bagley and, and see what he has. And he hasn't really brought it to the extent that we wanted them to, but I don't think it is easy for Luke Walton to uh, manage his minutes the way that he has. And Walton has been consistent about this the whole time. And now he's seeing um, the best, the best result of, of how he's managed that, which is winning these games at the end with the lineup that he feels ha- gives him the best chance to win. And, and it's, it's working out for him. Yeah, it is. And I, I, I give him a lot of credit too, for sticking and still playing Marvin. All, yeah. You know, he's still playing him. I mean, he's not playing him down the stretch and I get all that, but I agree with it. I mean, he's trying to, he's trying to win, which is pretty smart for him in his circumstance. I think he knows that he yeah. needs to win ball games. And, and so he's going to do, do what he can there. Uh, you know, I, I just think with, uh, you know, with, with, probably some of the criticism that he does get, I, I, I think it probably does roll off his back. And I'll give a couple of things here. I don't know that we've, we've talked about or thought about, but I think his new additions to his staff, you know, they, they come in look at, and look at existing personnel differently. Uh, you know, and I think we, we often forget that, that, uh, yeah, I mean, Luke, I know listens to an Alvin Gentry and Rex Kalamian, uh, and, you know, they come in from a different perspective and, uh, they didn't draft anybody here mm-hmm. or trade for anybody. They're just trying to, uh, I know both of them and I know they're, they're just trying to do a good job and give the best advice they can. So I suspect in, in you know, I suspect Luke, uh, uh, listens. I mean, I think he, he's always been that kind of guy. And, and I, I, I really believe that's part of what, what you're seeing that those guys have, a they do, we, we assumed they would have a role and I think they do have a role. And I think that, uh, 
credit to them, you know, like, like it's like they say, you know, that they weren't, you know, they weren't here with the draft. They weren't here with the trades. They, all they're here for is to help the head coach try to win ball games. period. Jerry, do you think that those, uh, I, I, I joked about this last night on Twitter, but I'm, I'm half serious about it. There was two games in which uh, the Memphis Grizzlies were supposed to play the Kings and uh, they had to cancel due to, uh, to COVID. So the Kings had five days off to practice. And I, I basically said, oh, the, the Grizzlies getting COVID saved the Kings season. Do you think that the Kings were always due to just get better, to just finally click in and, and go on, uh, improve in terms of basketball? Or, or do you think a, a season can be turned around in just a few practices where a team finally goes, okay, we got time to think about this and run it through a couple of times. Now we understand where, where we're supposed to be, where we're supposed to be and where we're supposed to be headed. Yeah, that's a great question. You know, I've thought about that a lot. I, I, I do think they, ha- they had enough talent to play better than they were playing. You know, in other words, let, let's put yeah. that out there. They were underperforming. They might be overperforming now a little bit. I, I don't know. I hope not. But but they were underperforming significantly with the level of talent, I think. But uh, having said that, I'm not at all. I, I would almost say that, that without those five days, I'm not sure the team would have gotten turned around, turned around, as, certainly not as quickly as it's happened. In other words, yeah, well, it might have happened to, you know, the last 20 games of the season, they finally clicked in, but then that becomes meaningless, uh, it, you know, in a way. But uh, yeah, I think those, those, that time the Grizzlies, uh, you know, if the Kings were to continue at this pace, I think they can thank the Grizzlies a big deal for this because uh, there's no doubt that the coaching staff uh, used those days wisely from what we could see very wisely. And uh, it, it came out of that break uh, much better prepared, better, better, you know, more unselfish, uh, a little better on defense, which uh, wasn't hard to do, but, but they were a little better on defense. I, I'm sorry. I just lost my train of thought here, Jerry. That was such a, a, a prescient point that my, my brain. Was <laughs> oh, <asleep. laughs> don't be using big words on me now. <laughs> um, yeah. I think the, I think the biggest thing there is just that, that, uh, that one, the Kings are healthy. I, I, I think that was the biggest point of this. I, I was running this through in my head last night. And, and without the Kings being absolutely healthy, without the Kings, like there's so many dominoes that have fallen into place so far this season. Yeah. It's stacked up to just that moment where if De'Aaron Fox was down during those five days, okay, well then, you know, you can kiss goodbye to most of whatever development happened in those times. Like uh, at, w- at what point do we see this team as a team of destiny? Every year there's a team that just decides you, you, everyone in the world thinks we're bad and now we're not. At what point, Jerry, do you see the Kings? How how far off into the season where the Kings have to maintain this before you're like, okay, no, this team is absolutely for real. Now I'm expectations start getting dropped in there. I think it's going to be, you know, past the all-star break, which okay. by the way, I agree with Fox on that. That's what a stupid idea. You know, yeah. you know what a, yeah. anyway, but uh, yeah, I think, you know, I just been a uh, cautious optimist and pessimist and cynic that I am as well. Maybe not to your level, Will, but but uh, <laughs> but uh, but I, I definitely uh, would, would want to see about twenty more games and and not and not expecting it to be exactly like we're seeing it, you know. But to say, okay, they're they're playing at a five hundred or better clip, and these guys are still playing, and and maybe even go through an injury or something, because at some point they you know they've got to find a way to be play good basketball with a key guy out. Uh, for a period or COVID stuff. So yeah, we're, 
you know, we're, we're getting ahead of ourselves, no doubt about it, but I think we're allowed to, but I, I would totally agree with you in a sense that, yeah, this is, you know, before we, uh, you know, start ordering uh, or measuring for rings and stuff, we probably ought to wait another 20, 20, 25 games, probably. You know, I would be excited to see the Nuggets as the number one team in the West and the Kings as an eight seed, because I think we'd have a, just judging by past results, I think we'd have a fairly good shot in the playoffs there. Yeah, especially with our luck, too, if we got that bad, Jokic might get sick. And then, uh, you know, they'd be, they'd be, they'd be dead in the water, I'm telling you. Uh, yeah, yeah, no, the Kings have, you know, it's like today's game, you know, catching the Clippers without uh, all those back-to-back, so it's a tough way to go regardless, but without Paul George, uh that's still a break, yeah. you know. I mean, he's a, he's been playing at a truly has been playing at a high all star level, and, and so they're not as good without him. And so, so you know, normally after back to back, you'd say, Well, you got no shot at, at yes. the Clippers, you just no shot. You just go down there and try to have a good game, have fun, pat each other on the ass, and get on the plane, go home. <laughs> uh, but but with without Paul, you, yeah, you're playing good, you say, Yeah, we. You know, if if uh, Kawhi struggle a little bit, we we got it. We we can get out of here with the W. Yeah, I think there's like a lot of um, unexpected and maybe it should have been expected uh, parity at like the bottom half of the Western Conference standings. That, barring trades, the Kings should remain somewhere in the mix at least up to the trade deadline, which is where you have to start making some more longer term decisions. But like. The teams ahead and a little bit below them in the standings, like, you know, you look at the Rockets or the Warriors or, you know, the Spurs who are 13 and 10 right now in the fifth seed. The Kings, just looking on paper at the rosters, they are not significantly worse than some of those teams. And they're obviously playing really well right now. But uh, I think it's it would almost be, and this is a crazy thing to say for someone who has watched the Kings lose for 14 years in a row, but they shouldn't fall too far down from these other teams unless some bad things start to happen or, you know, Luke Walton lose the team. You start getting some injuries, some things that you can't necessarily account for, but if things sort of stay the way they're staying um, like, and with the NBA opening the the playoff line to 10, 10 teams instead of eight, I don't see them falling too far out of this mix. Like I said, at least by the deadline where those decisions have to be made. I, I agree. I've thought this for some. It's such a strange year. I, I've called this yeah. kind of the NFL year. Uh, you know, the NFL every year you got, you know, four or five teams that's just really good, and then four or five teams are just awful, and the rest are close to five hundred. <laughs> you know, and, yeah. and and I think that's what you're seeing. You know, normally it's not quite that way in the NBA, but I, I think that's what you're seeing. You know, you've got three or four teams that are clearly championship caliber, and then three or four that are just dogs. They're going nowhere and can't go anywhere. And then a whole bunch, 20, that are, there's not very much. It's it, The difference is maybe just health and breaks. And, 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 uh, and so why not? You know, I mean, like I say, when you're, when you're a game and a half out of fourth, why don't you think you can be fourth? But, you know, well, yeah. that's what I'd say. Yeah. I, there's nothing. Why wouldn't you think that? And I, I suspect that's what they think which is more important than what we think. How much do you attribute that to um, to management of these teams and how much do you attribute that to COVID? Because some of these games teams have lost because they've had to sit out eight guys because they were came into contact with somebody with, with COVID. Uh, and some of these teams, they're just playing like crap. 
you know, like I think of the, the Mavericks, they're, they're the second worst team in the West right now. Mm-hmm. And they, they kind of earned that at times. Yeah. And so how much do you attribute that to, okay, this, they had to go on a week break and, oh, we, we lost six of our guys due to, due to the coronavirus. How much do you attribute one to the other? Well, at some point, I think you have to, here again, give credit where credit's due. The Kings haven't had those issues. So, okay. so okay, if they don't have them, you'd have to give a lot of credit to, yeah. to the management of the Kings and, and, and coaching staff and everybody uh, because just about every other team has had some of those issues. And, and, that's, mm-hmm. certainly, uh, and that's certainly a part of this season. So, uh, you know, uh, I think that's, that, that to me kind of goes in with game preparation and everything else. You know, this is an unusual year. You know, it's, it's a year where, you know, in the past you could count on having, you know, home games being a big advantage. Well, it's not anymore. Uh, but, uh, you know, taking, really taking care of your players and making sure they're taking care of themselves. Uh, well, that's, that's, a, that's a big issue. And, and yet we don't know how it's going to play out. But, but, but like I say, because, you know, knocking on wood again here, but, you know, if, if the Kings lose, start losing games due to COVID themselves, then that's out the window as well. But, uh, but, but they, they, they've been the, probably the best in the league, uh, you know, handling it so far. I, I would never speak bad about the city of Sacramento, but I do think that there is something to be said for there aren't a lot of strip clubs in Sacramento for players to be going to. There aren't a lot of attractions outside of Sacramento where the, where you have stars that, you know, I think of James Harden, especially James Harden is going places and doing things. And, and Kevin Durant and some of these other players, they're in big cities with, with quite a few different attractions for young men with a lot of money. And, and Sacramento is, you know, this might be the first time that it's good to be a cow town. That you know, where, where are you going to go? You're going to you're going to spend three hours in traffic to go to San Francisco to have dinner. Mm, just stay home. And because the Kings don't really have a big star, and they they have two guys that are making any sort of really really good money, they they're just kind of staying at home. Yeah, I, I think that's a great point. I, of course, I've always said you know if uh, if your you know your attraction for your team is is having a lot of strip clubs, I'm not sure you know just what that says either. <laughs> Uh, you know, I, I was, I was never somebody to go make it rain. If you get my drift, uh, I, 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 I might've done that with Mrs. Reynolds. I might be willing to make it rain for her, but, uh, but, uh, but yeah, I, I don't know. You know, I mean, I understand what as a young, I was young once and I did things that I'm ashamed of for, for sure. Uh, but, but I, I don't know that that's a, I think that the Kings, you know, don't have to apologize and shouldn't. Sacramento should never apologize for the city and the atmosphere for their players. I've always said most players that don't like Sacramento uh, never played it, never been, never been here, yeah. played here. And when they do play here, they like it almost invariably. And, uh, you know, and change it, even the ones that come in with a bad attitude changes dramatically. I saw that with Spud Webb, who just didn't want to be here at all. And then within six months was just in love with it, you know, and, uh, you know, sure. so, so, you know, and I think most people get that just the national media doesn't, but they, they don't want to get it. Let's, let's go to the flip side, the, the flip side for a second here, Jerry, because we've been pretty positive so far about the Kings. Um, when do you sell off 
And I, I, I say this only to get to a bigger point that I want to give you your chance to talk to people who have discussed uh, certain uh, certain management moves that could be in the future. But uh, at what point, if the Kings say the Kings lose today, the Kings uh, have an injury where Darren Fox is out for three or four games, uh, just the flip side of the question I asked earlier, at what point do you recognize, okay, the Kings are, they're now in, they're now in the development phase of the season. It might be time to move certain pieces. Now, uh, online recently, uh, we, uh, King Charles had an article written by uh, Brendan Nunes about uh, maybe shipping uh, Harrison Barnes was the example he used to the Celtics. But at mm-hmm. what point do you start, start looking at, okay, it might be time to start looking at the future a little bit more than, than the present? And, and then how far is you, if you were the general manager, how far would you go this season, seeing how well they've played so far this season, how far would you go in terms of trades and movement? You know, I, that's a great question again, but I, uh, I, I suspect, and, and I think generally speaking, uh, if you're Monty McNair, you, regardless of how this team's playing right now, you're always looking at things you think can make this team better, better, if not right away, long-term. So I think you 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 have to do that. There's nobody, you know, contrary to years ago when George Carl said, you know, Demarcus or everybody is tradable, which of course they are. You know, there was nothing wrong with what he said at all. Uh, to make it more than that was ridiculous. Uh, you know, I mean, Kareem Abdul-Jabbar and Oscar Robertson were traded, and Will Chamberlain. I think they're better than Demarcus. I just do. Uh, but. Uh, so, so, yeah, as great as Harrison's playing or Buddy or, or even Fox, I mean, you, you know, everybody's tradable. Now, some guys you know you're not going to trade because uh, you can't possibly get enough for them. And uh, uh, that's the kind of way I'd look at, at Harrison right now. Uh, now, before trade deadline, if the team has really slumped badly and there's a deal you think can keep the team close to where it is and give you a better future, yeah, you'd, you'd have to do that. You, you need to do that. Now, as far as, uh, you know, like the deals I've seen proposed to the Celtics, I don't know why you'd do any of those. Uh, don't know what Danny would do. I mean, he'd, he'd gladly give you a whole bunch of late first round picks, uh, you know, and, and while he, you know, for Harrison Barnes, and then they can win a championship. That's a pretty good deal uh, for him. <laughs> <laughs> And, and, and so, so, but yeah, I, I, yeah, I wouldn't, regardless, I, I think you have to look at that. And I mean, I can say, I, I think obviously, you know, with Buddy or, or, or any of them, I, I think you have to look at what's out there, you know, you don't, but you don't shop them. You sure. know, you, you, listen, you listen to calls. And I, and I think that that's what's happening now is these guys are playing at a level, you're going to get calls. And so you can listen, but you don't, you know, you don't want to shop guys and, and uh, certainly you want to make sure agents are aware, you know, of that you're not. And uh, so okay. I think just to, just to be, you know, be upfront about everything. So there's a popular notion that um, for a team with the Kings where they don't really, they have Fox, they have Halliburton, but they, to, to win a championship, they will need more high end talent. And, and for Sacramento, that, that will almost never come in free agency, but that'll be more a product of the draft first and then uh, trade second. So what a lot of people, uh, myself included, I, I'll throw myself right here on, on the fire. Um, the, there's this idea of uh, selling high on somebody. 
and mm-hmm. our friend Richard Ivanowski uh, um, was discussing this the other day that um, that Harrison Barnes has never played better and that there is a chance at 28 years old that he might regress back to Harrison Barnes of, of last the, season, the, the season before. Yes. Okay. So, so, um, so speak to the notion of selling high. As a general manager, were there ever times where you went, this, this player is never going to get better. This player, I'm probably riding a high streak right now. I got to ship him out. Or there's a deal here in place that this is, this is the one I take advantage of. Absolutely. I, I think those are great points. And I think you have to. You know, the, like I've said many times, you, it's always better to trade a guy a year too soon than a year too late. And uh, if you're convinced that, that it makes sense for the franchise, yeah, you, you, need, to, you need to do that. Uh, I always recall I, I traded Travis Mays in his rookie season, uh, uh, really at the end of the rookie, play the rookie season, and he had a good rookie season. And most fans thought, well, he's going to be good. But I, I knew that he couldn't play point guard. You know, it's like, okay, six foot two, two guard. That's, you know, and we had a guy named Mitch Richmond and there's a big gap between him and that. So, you know, we needed a point guard and, and I was able to, and I traded him uh, for Spud Webb, who had five, six good years left in him. And then Travis was basically out of the league in a couple of years. But in other words, in my opinion, yeah, he was more valuable right then than he would ever be. More people saw him play. Because I, you know, that they would say, "Oh, he can't play. He's too little. He he can't play point, and he's too little to play too. And uh, which that's what happened. I was correct for a change, but uh, but but still, yeah, I, I think uh, you know th- that's a great point. I mean, I think you with Harrison as good as he is, uh, uh, you know, and I've said before too. I, I don't disagree with you your premise, and we've talked about this. I was uh, kind of reading some guys kind of misinterpreted it. I've said, yeah, if, if, if I knew, if I had a choice of being the eighth seed or getting the third pick, uh, when I knew that there was a really somebody that, that I was positive or in mo- as positive as you can be, mm-hmm. would be, would make the team better. Sure. I'd rather get the third pick sure. now, but I need to be sure. <laughs> and, and I think, and as I pointed out, I think with the fan base currently, the people who actually paid tens of thousands of dollars for those tickets, uh, high percentage of them would very much prefer to be in the playoffs. And I don't think you can just, uh, you know, eliminate th- those people's thoughts uh, willy nilly. Uh, you know, they have a right to say, geez, we want to see a playoff team. And then we can worry about how we get better from there. And that's okay. You know, that's a different philosophy. And I, so, and I think, you know, not many teams are in that that spot but I think the Kings are to where it's been so long that you just don't want a, a chance to playoffs is more meaningful to the Kings than just about anybody else so so but having said that okay I know how important it is and boy I'd have to really know in my own heart that that third pick is going to be a big time guy yeah sure I, I think something else that, that kind of uh, dissuades that from happening a little bit more is the the uh, flattening out of the lottery odds too. That makes it a much bigger risk where n- now you, it, one, you don't have to be quite as bad, but you also don't have quite the chance to get that pick either. Oh yeah. It's, it's tremendous. It is a true lottery basically. And uh, you know, that's, uh, that's why I like say the tanking thing per se, just uh, is such a crapshoot. Uh, you know, 
and, and uh, of course, I, I'm one of those people too, that it's really not where you pick, it's who you pick. I mean, Halliburton proves that, uh, but it's proven every year. You know, I mean, it's, you know, we see Rudy Gobert and, and Donovan Mitchell leading right now the best team in the league, basically guys that were available late in the draft, especially Gobert. And, and, and I mean, you know, John Stock and Carl Malone did that for 20 years for, for Utah, both late picks in the first round. And the Jimmy Butlers, the Jokic is the second round pick. And, uh, you know, I mean, Kawhi Leonard, Paul George, Paul's 10, Kawhi's 15. You know, I mean, uh, so, you know, the great Golden State Warriors teams, you know, Clay 11 and, and Steph 7. So, so it's, there, there, there are going to be really great players in the draft, but, you know, you don't know. Sure. And anybody says they do know. Now, I, I understand when it's Kareem Abdul-Jabbar and LeBron James or and Oscar Robertson in his time, they were so, so great. You knew they couldn't miss, but, uh, yeah. Most of, most of the time, uh, you know, ask you know ask Detroit when they took uh, the big bureau when you passed on Dwayne Wade and, and Bosch and, and and Carmelo Anthony and all those basically <laughs> sure things. That, but they thought he was after LeBron was the best best pick. Now I've heard Darko Milicic is a very good wrestler uh, in uh, in the Eastern Bloc. I've heard that, and I hope he is. And uh, you know, I mean, it's it, it is you know we for every you know there's the Skeetis Vili's everywhere. You know, I mean, every team, you know, the uh, uh, Strohmile I mean, Swift is another one that comes to mind. Well, yeah, you know, well we've had some come past through here, Derek. Derek Williams, you know, number two pick. And I mean, it's, it's just, it's just the nature of the beast that guys, you know, as a 19 year old in, in college, it looks like, boy, look how good they're going to be. Well, some are going to be just what you think. And some are not going to be what you think. <laughs> <laughs> you know, it's like, I, I think of jo I was watching Josh Jackson last night, the fourth pick in, in front of, uh, De'Aaron that Phoenix took and, and now he's with the Pistons and he's he's playing pretty good you know he's finally you know finally bounced around and been a disappointment now now is he worth the fourth pick no no but but he's a player and uh you know had he but that that happens uh you know that happens a lot so I I, I know I'm beating around the bush here but I, I like to say I I you're you're a thousand percent right for a small market team the best way to get a star is through the draft and uh you know the kings were lucky enough to get a page through the draft a, a real star uh you know like i say uh, of course the guy who went behind him was better steve nash <laughs> 15 <laughs> two-time mvp <laughs> which which you of course knew jerry during his workout when you picked him up from the airport you knew he'd be a two-time mvp right i i thought he'd be a great backup point guard <laughs> you know just like just just like everybody else uh, i mean really i i think that was uh i always remember the first time i heard differently with after my i told you this but danny ainge told me he said uh he had uh, kevin johnson and jason kidd both there at the same time and he said i think steve nash gonna be better than either one of them and I said, Danny, you're crazy as hell. You don't know. <laughs> what are you talking about? He's not going to be as good, near as good as either one of those guys. Well, you know. <laughs> the nail on the head with that one, huh? 
Well, as I was say, I, I say Danny's a real basketball guy, and I always that was kind of why when he passed on Markel Fultz to, to take the third pick, I, I knew in his own mind, Danny Ainge, in his mind, right or wrong, he knew Markel Fultz wasn't that good. You know, that 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 was, you know, and, and that's uh, sometimes that's, you know, it is basketball knowledge and the eye test. It just comes down to that. So let's uh, only only so that we can uh, wrap up here a little bit. Jerry, I know you're rooting for two teams today. Uh, the Kings at noon, but a little bit later, you've got another team you're rooting for, right? I am uh, the Kansas City Chiefs, uh, you know, longtime Chiefs fan. I, I Like I told you in private, but I'll, I'll admit to it, I'm a front runner. Uh, you know, I, 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 I turned on them while they were down. You know, I stick with the Kings when they're down, but I turned on the Chiefs. But now I'm I'm back full-fledged front runner and and uh, my son Jay uh, uh, he's a huge he's always been a loyal a loyal Chiefs fan because we spent years going to Chiefs games or some Chiefs games when we lived in Kansas City and uh, got to know some of the people and so so we're really uh, pulling for for those guys and uh, you know we'll see I think they're the best team with the probably the greatest natural quarterback I've ever seen although having said that uh, Tom Brady they'll probably never be anybody that has will accomplish what he's accomplished ever 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 i only do this to uh, to wedge a divide here tony as a bostonian are you rooting for tom brady today i am and it's um it's it's goes beyond tom brady for me it's it's more of a uh like a look what you guys did wrong to the patriots sort of thing because <laughs> the kings are out, outside of the kings the only professional sports team that i really care about is the patriots and uh they got this one wrong and just to maybe motivate them a little bit more or, or show them the error of, of Bill Belichick's stubborn ways sometimes like, Hey man, like you guys look at what happened, you know, Tom Brady went up and you guys went down. So just to sort of uh, hammer that point home. And I, and I know it'll stick in, in Bill Belichick's craw if, uh, if Brady does win without him. So I think a Brady win would be what's best for Tony personally. <laughs> so that's, that's where my allegiances lie today. I, uh, I'm not a big uh, football guy anymore, but uh, when I was a little kid, I used to think I was going to be president someday. Um, and, we still could um, be. Hey, I still could be. You got, you got 30 years left. <laughs> I, uh, I had all the presidents and vice presidents memorized in order when I was a kid. My family took me to Washington, D.C. for my birthday one year, and I wanted to go see the White House. I was just one of those guys. And uh, so I picked the Patriots uh, when uh, Bledsoe was quarterback because I thought, this is a morally upstanding team. They won't make me look bad on the campaign trail someday. Mm -hmm. That's the most American team I can think of. And uh, just over the years, uh, through attrition, I went, all right, I'll, you know, they did enough stuff that I went, I'll, I'll stop paying attention now. But the Patriots were a team that I, I, I follow lightly as well. Well, Brady is one of the most remarkable stories of all time. And there again, you talk about the draft. Brady's sixth-round pick. Uh, yeah. You know, I mean, the, the, the quarterback's a position that they're supposed to most valuable and you're supposed to know the most about. You study the most. Uh, Brady, a sixth round pick. Montana, third round pick. Favre, a second round pick. Johnny Unitas wasn't even drafted. Uh, <laughs> you know, Pat Mahomes, 15th pick. About three quarterbacks went in front of him. You know, so, that, you know, and I mean, that's an exaggeration. But I always said the NBA, as bad as they draft, they're way better than the NBA you know, the NFL or, or major league baseball. Uh, I, I think their miss, their misses are in numbers for should this guy went ninth. He should have been fourth or vice versa, as opposed to God, an all time great sixth round. <laughs> yeah. 
<laughs> the all-time great. Yeah, yeah, no, you're right. Absolutely right. The all-time great. No, no question about it. And and you know, he he split time for the most part in college, for God's sakes. Yeah. yeah. So I mean, uh, yeah, greatness. You know, greatness is greatness, and I think a lot of the all-time greats really are late developers. You know, whether it's been, you know, the Tim Duncan's who was very lightly recruited came on, came Elijah on. Uh, late developer uh you know you you know probably our guy tyrese halliburton might might fit that category too you know i mean it's uh it's you know it goes back to what we've always said it's 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 not how good they are right now it's how good they're gonna be and do they have the work ethic and the desire to keep getting better and that's that's you know that's the telltale and that's what you can't know and that's what you can't know and that's why someday you may be president there you go Will. right right Right, right sure. now, right now, I don't see it. I think you're in a, I think you're in a slump, Will. Uh, this, this, we're gonna have to delete all the episodes of this podcast. When I run. <laughs> They're gonna hear some opinions that are not good. It will disqualify me. <laughs> uh, well, we can hope. Maybe I'm the late bloomer. You could be. Uh, Tony, let's get into the uh, the Patreon question of the day. All right. Uh, this is going to be a, a kind of a sillier question, but I, I'm always interested to hear about um, some Jerry Reynolds history. So this question is from Rory C. And he asks, hey, Jerry, quick question. If you were in the NBA, what would be your signature move? A fundamentally sound chess pass, uh, maybe a step back three, a sick dunk, killer crossover or um, E other. So please explain. So, Jerry, when you were uh, in your prime playing days, what was your what was your go to thing on the basketball court? You know, you might not believe this, but this was, you know, this was back into the early 60s. But I actually had a step back jumper back before just about anybody did. I had to, wow. to, yeah. get, to get it off. I like to go, you know, hard right to the corner and a little step back and, and, uh, and a little L twine music, baby. But uh, yeah, that was, uh, I always say that was, I was exactly the kind of player I wouldn't want to coach because I was a selfish little prick. <laughs> and, uh, and, and that's why I could always spot him, uh, you know, and, and so it helped me coaching wise. But I, you know, although I, by the time I got to college, I mean, the college coaches explained it to me in a way I could understand. It's like, you little prick, you either start passing the ball or you, I'm bitching you. And so I said, okay, I think I get it now, coach. <laughs> yeah. So Steph Curry didn't ruin uh, kids today with his crazy game. You were doing it uh, back way back before Steph was. Well, no. Well, well, anything. I'll tell you what, Steph has been such a positive force on the game. I mean, even though, you know, uh, you know, he's changed the game like only great ones can. And, and he is great, truly a great one. Tony, as a basketball head, I want to know what your go-to move is. So uh, pre-pandemic, I was still playing basketball three or four days a week in the morning. And uh, this has been my thing for my entire um, amateur career. I love passing the ball. Part of that is I don't want the responsibility of missing or making shots. So that's not necessarily a good thing, but I love setting guys up. I love a great pass. I don't get upset when, when, the, when the roller doesn't finish. That's fine with me as long as I know that I put the pass in the right spot. So I'd be like a, uh, I don't know, who's a, like maybe a Ricky Rubio, not as much flash, but I, I ain't trying to score. I'm not going to shoot. I'm just going to dump it off to other guys. How about you, Will? I am. Um... As a Sacramento State intramural all-star for basketball, 
Um, I was a, I was the shooter. Uh, you give me that, that ball and get the hell out of my way. Cause I'm going to try to go score. And most of the time that was because I had friends that, uh, we weren't very good. And so it's like, well, I played in high school. No one else did. I guess I'll take the shots. So, uh, but I was a deep, I was a Dame Lillard, uh, pull up from, from, you know, six feet behind the three point line shooter. Um, but like you, I also, the pass would be, if I had to pick one thing, I want an around the back pass. I want to in traffic, wait for a guy to come behind me and just kind of flip it up behind me. Little for, Jay Will, little Jay Will. Little Jay Will. That's yeah. the Jay Will influence on me. Well, well, I'll tell you what though. I, I always went by the philosophy. It feels like leather. I'm shooting it. <laughs> <laughs> Jerry, a man after my own heart. <laughs> It, it, it feels so good that when like, and I'm sure this is times infinity when you're like a real professional basketball player, but when you run something like a pick and roll and you realize that you've got both the defenders on you. So you just got to sneak a bounce pass in there and a guy gets a wide open layup that, that mm. happening feels so great. That's why I play basketball <laughs> for stuff like that. Well, you're an honorable man, Tony. You're, you know, we, 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 we selfish gunners appreciate people yeah. like you. Yeah. When, uh, when we have a, a King's Herald, a three on three tournament, Tony, Jerry, uh, you guys can do most of the shooting. I'll do some rebounding. Well, it'll, it'll work out just fine. I'm not sure I could even lift the ball now. <laughs> we'll cheat, Jerry. We'll cheat. Okay. Yeah. Who's, who's going to guard you and not want you to score on them? No, I think there's a lot of guys. Yeah. They, you know, <laughs> Be, be like uh, uh, Hassan, uh, you know, kicking that 12 year old kid's butt. There'll be somebody say, well, I don't care if he's 77, I'm going to kick his butt, man. <laughs> and I wouldn't, I wouldn't mind. That's what I do too. Yeah. You've probably earned it over the years, some way. Yeah. Oh, I mind. have. Yeah. I have. I have. I, you know, yeah, there's definitely a, you know, a payback. You know, you know, what goes around does come around. That's for sure. Sometimes it takes a long time. Just don't bring Mrs. Reynolds or she'll slip a 20 to somebody to put an elbow in your face. Or oh, something, right? or she might jump out there and do it herself, you know, if she still could. <laughs> um, well, let's get to the, the Reynolds wrap-up. Jerry, you have anything for us? Yeah, you know, I, the last time we, we, we visited, I didn't get a chance. And I, uh, Hank Aaron passed uh, recently and a couple of weeks ago. And uh, obviously everybody's aware of just what a marvelous player he was, one of the all-time greats, make the case that maybe he's the greatest, uh, if you want. But I, uh, I had a real, you know, real memories with, with Hank. I, I worked uh, my first two years in Georgia at, at West Georgia University. I, I spent two weeks for the first two summers in, in what's called Camp Rabin All Sports Camp. It was owned and run by Hank Aaron. And so he would always come up there at least one day you know, during that time, usually they get a day off a of Monday or something. He'd come up, and I got, so I got to spend a little time with him, and you know, and just an absolute gentleman, just such a class guy, and and uh, just you know, you always think in terms of the greatness as a player, but but what a what a great man, and so what a loss that was, and and uh, just one memory, he'd always get in the batting gauge when he'd come up. And, and in case you, you know, it's the old saying, in case you know, didn't know the difference, I mean, he'd hit balls about like 40 or 50, and everyone just screamers, you know, I mean, you know, just perfect screamers. It's just like watching Roy McElroy hit drives off the driving range or something, you know, it's like, you, you know, you, you watch about 10 minutes and say, oh, now I get it, you know, now I really get it. And, uh, but anyway, what a, what a marvelous man, a great loss. Absolutely. 
Well, for everyone here at the uh, the King's Herald, I'd like to thank you for listening to yet another episode. Um, if you haven't already, please uh, like, rate, and subscribe us uh, any way you get your podcast. And uh, we'll see you in a couple of weeks, folks. Uh, go Kings! How about the Tasmanian Slovenian with the stop, drop, and pop? Tiffany Hop with the King's Herald Barbershop. <laughs>